okay, I have a new challenge for us this month, August. Let's spend less time sitting at our desk and more time outside soaking up the sun. Let me explain. It starts with bringing AI-powered tools like HubSpot CRM into your workflow because the latest research says that employees who use AI are already cutting time spent on manual tasks, things like pulling reports or summarizing data. They are cutting that time in half from five to two and a half hours per day. You heard that right. And that adds up to almost four weeks a year. So you can do the math. Just saying that gives me this instant surge of energy. HubSpot's AI power tools can help you work smarter, not harder by streamlining how you do business from research and strategy to content creation and optimization. Things like ChatSpot and Content Assistant are baked right into your HubSpot CRM so you can whip up reports, get copy inspiration, pull data summaries and much more with just a simple chat command. Tap into HubSpot to stop staring at your screen and start enjoying your summer PTO. Learn more and get started today at HubSpot.com. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here, and I'm back with another awesome interview. Today in the guest chair, I have Kiwa Nurala. Kiwa is a performing artist, a community organizer, and the owner of Kiddo, an award-winning children's shop located in the South Loop neighborhood of Chicago. As a shop owner, Kiwa focuses on inclusivity and representation in her curated collection of apparel, books, and sustainable toys. Named Black Entrepreneur of the Year in 2021 by official Black Wall Street, Clover, and Snapchat, she has been featured in the New York Times, CBS Mornings, The Tamron Hall Show, CNN, Forbes, and so many other media outlets. She's also a Black Wall Street descendant and a fourth generation entrepreneur. And as such, she is dedicated to Black entrepreneurship and community building in Chicago. I had such a great time talking to Kiwa. I learned some new things as you will hear and I can't wait for you guys to hear this. So let's get right into it. Welcome, welcome to the guest chair, Kiwa. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. And thank you for being here. I'm very excited to chat with you. Now, I have never spoken to a fourth generation entrepreneur and (laughs) and definitely not, you know, a descendant of Black Wall Street. So I'm really, really excited to get your perspective and how all of that has influenced you and your brand. But tell me before we get into that. Now, you are a performing artist Mm -hmm. and you're also the owner of Kiddo. How do those worlds intersect? Oh, wow. (laughs) Sometimes I think they don't intersect at all. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like that was a a former life, but I really do because both of my parents are slash were creative um, artists. And so I really do feel like when you're an artist, it's a lifelong journey. And with Kiddo, I do think that even in my everyday decisions and my curation of the shop and the designs, I'm using my creativity every day. So even if it's not performing and in the same way, I do feel like my artistic brain is just like always working. Yeah, I was just really curious about that because you've had such a diverse, varied life experience. And even when we don't 
think about it, it really all does influence each other and support each other at some mm-hmm. at some stage of the game. Mm-hmm. So where were you when you decided to create what is now Kiddo? Oh, man, I was on the couch <laughs> sitting under a baby. <laughs> I was, I mean, and what inspired it? I mean, if there are mothers listening and you can remember that first stage of holding them a lot and being them falling asleep on you and you nursing them or you just wanting them to be quiet. And so you're holding them even when you shouldn't be and that type of thing. That's when I did my first like Google research. And that's when I just had a lot of time with myself, you know, to be honest, you know, I felt like motherhood was a huge transition and I was having a lot of thoughts. And one of the thoughts that came up was just in shopping for my son I was surprised by the lack of options for how we could dress him. You know, it was everything was being pushed a certain way, not very colorful, um, not as many options as I expected, I guess, before I entered motherhood. And so that was just a recurring thought was my son specifically had acid reflux. And so he was throwing up on his clothes all the time. Uh. We were replacing his clothes all the time. It was really hard on us. And so I was shopping for replacement clothing and just like, do I have to spend my money on this thing that like I don't really want to buy, you know, for him to wear? And so that's when I started thinking, well, if he could wear anything, you know, what would it be? Like if I could dress him how how I wanted to, you know, how would I dress him, you know? Yeah, you do do a lot of thinking during that time period of your life. And but not everyone comes up with a business idea. (laughs) (laughs) So that is... (laughs) And then acts on the business idea. So, you know, how long did it take you before you decided to explore the idea in earnest? Um, pretty quickly, honestly. I would say maybe a month or two. I pretty much, you know, I knew I didn't have textiles or have some manufacturing connection to make clothes, cut and sew clothes from scratch. But, you know, even just thinking about graphic tees and onesies, I was just like, what What could I think of? What are the ideas that I have? And I wrote them all down and I, you know, showed my husband, you know, is this good? Is this one bad? You know, to get his opinion. And he actually gave me the suggestion that I ended up using for the very first onesie. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so it was definitely collaborative. And so then I just had to do the research, you know, how do I get this into artwork that actually fits on the onesie you know how do i get it printed what is screen printing should i do it myself do i get somebody else to do it just that whole kind of itemized list of how does it go from in my head to actually on someone you know wearing it and yeah that's how it all came into play initially it was just one idea and one onesie and i just wanted to see it physically you know what i mean walk us through, did you decide to screen print it yourself? Did you decide to outsource that? How did you decide? So I did decide to outsource it. I didn't really want to, I wanted to go with the momentum of what I was feeling. And I know learning another trade while I had a baby wasn't really (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, something that was going to (laughs) happen. So I, you know, looked up screen printing companies or services and ideally ones that didn't have a huge minimum or that type of thing. And I just shot my shot. I didn't, you know, I just went based off of reviews 
And the biggest risk for me was just if I buy, you know, all of these onesies, will people buy them, you know, or am I going to waste my money and be stuck with this creation? How did you make the decision? I just went with my gut. Honestly, I just went with my gut. I'm just like, if I'm seeing this problem and shopping for my son, I just know that other people are feeling the same thing. And I just needed the feedback of a customer to tell me, do they like this specific thing that I made? Or does it still need some work? You know, but Yeah, I was just operating from my gut, honestly, just from my gut. That's so interesting. That's really interesting because some people test it before they actually invest in it. But it sounded like you invested in a few hundreds or so for that first round before even maybe knowing for sure that someone else would buy it. One thing I do think that I had in mind when I started creating this singular product was I did definitely from the beginning want to connect it to a brand. I knew that because I was switching from the arts to kind of this business idea that, you know, some people might not take me seriously and I wanted to present it in a way that looked official. And so even though I had this idea for this onesie and this product, I developed the branding at the same time. So I got a logo. I, you know, figured out what colors I kind of wanted for for the business. I got a website. And so even though it was just one onesie, the launch of this one onesie was really launching a brand and using the branding that I still use to this day. So I think there was a little bit more thought put into it because I wanted it to feel like an official business as opposed to like, hey, y'all, I'm doing this little hobby. Come come buy some of my onesies, you know, like that. That was, <laughs> that was part of the feeling. But I think yeah. in terms of just knowing how people think, I wanted people to think of it seriously in order to spend their money with me. So I worked on all of that kind of at the same time. That is a really interesting point to bring up because everyone comes to this entrepreneurship and a side hustle life from a different angle. So I've, I definitely speak to people who just start out just like that. Like, hey guys, I got a product for sale. (laughs) And then I speak to people who want to just think about the whole cohesive brand from Mm -hmm. the start. And I think what it comes down to is what makes you feel most comfortable and confident, right? Because you Mm -hmm. have to feel confident selling whatever you're selling. That's the first piece. Because how will anyone else buy it if you're not confident about it, right? Exactly. I have to confess that at the very first market I sold my onesie at, I didn't sell one one onesie at all. <laughs> so oh, don't get wow. me wrong. Even though even though I had the vision, even though I had the vision, you know, it took a while to develop my customer. And I I, I remember it like it was yesterday, but I had these onesies, I had one. I didn't have a selection <laughs> yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't have a selection. And so it took a while for people to actually bite. But presentation wise, branding wise, I do think I had something from the start that was able to kind of chug along, you know, until people latched on to the concept. So you started going to like farmer's markets or? Like different vending events. You know, there was like an event in our neighborhood that was just like an artisan kind of market. I did a couple of festivals where they had people vending and tents and that type of thing. And I even, I have a really close friend, Peter, who's had a brand for a lot longer than I have. And so sometimes I would just split his table. I'm like, I don't know, like I can't afford like a whole setup, but can I just 
sell my onesies alongside of your stuff because I feel like our customer might be interested. And he was nice enough to let me do that, you know, several times over. Just figuring out how I could expose the brand to whoever its customer was, you know, parents, families, grandmas, that in-person exposure. Got you. So you were testing in real time on the ground. (laughs) I'm sure that wasn't easy. Now, what about the investment piece to this? So how were you able to finance this in the beginning before you had the regular customers? So, you know, thankfully, I think something that has contributed to kiddos growth is is just me and my, I wouldn't call it a personal brand, but I think I know a lot of people. Like I have a pretty wide network of people that I know. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the help that I received in the very beginning was from that community of of people. So Mm. in the very beginning, you know, it was more family, my husband, my brother, people who know to believe me when I say something, you know, like, I think this is going to work. But once we were getting to open the storefront and the shop, it became, you know, family and friends. I sent out an email that just laid out, you know, I think kiddo has grown into this point and this is the next step for us. Can you help us get there? And so thankfully I had a lot of people in our network kind of give a family and friends loan. And I paid it back okay. with interest. You know, some people I paid back within a year. Some people I paid back within two years. But it takes a lot to ask, you know. But I think as a mom, I've tried to become just more and more comfortable with that as a mother and as a business owner, you know. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think more of us need to become comfortable with that. It's a muscle that we need to keep flexing and getting better at because you would be surprised who wants to invest in you sometimes, um, who believes in you. And it's also a great exercise in seeing yourself the way others see you because there's mm-hmm. so many people in your life who are like, you know, Kiwa is so awesome. Nikayla so awesome. Anything she does, mm-hmm. I believe in it. I know she's going <laughs> to succeed. <laughs> like everyone has those people in their corners. So yes. giving people the opportunity to support you and invest in you and giving them that money back <laughs> you know, yes. with interest. <laughs> yes, that was definitely high up on the list was like, okay, I can't lose no friends, y'all. Like I actually have to, <laughs> I have to pay this money back. I've been trying to, you know, be on somebody's list and be out somewhere and mm-hmm. they're running after me. So, you know. <laughs> so help us understand though, the process going from creating that first onesie to deciding to open a brick and mortar storefront because that is very expensive. And where we are right now in the story is you're not selling one onesie. (laughs) So there's a gap there. So tell us a little bit about that process of starting with the first onesie and then growing Mm -hmm. to a point where you're like, let's open a whole storefront. Definitely. So like I said, I was selling at markets and festivals and wherever I could cheaply vend to get the product in front of people. And as I was meeting my customer in person, I was hearing the same thing over and over again. I was hearing that families on the South side of Chicago were asking where they could meet other families on the South side of Chicago. And so as a parent myself of a baby, I'm like, yeah, like, where is everybody at? You know, like, depending on when you have a baby, either like everyone, you know, is having a baby or (laughs) you're the first one, you know? And so what I noticed is that, you know, people may have moved to Chicago from another city and they're coming here and their community is like from scratch. And so 
What I realized as I was talking to people and really just thinking about my network just as an individual was that I do consider myself a connector. I consider myself a connector of people. People ask me for things. People ask my opinion on things. And I just have this instinct to like let that go somewhere. And so the first thing I did was with another mom, I started a Southside Storytime just as an event to happen where I can invite people and say, here, here's somewhere where there will be other parents and other kids and other families. And it was really successful. Free, we would read like diverse books and books that centered, you know, the black and brown experience. Yes. And people would come all over the city, really, just for the Southside Storytime, honestly, for the parents to meet other parents that had kids, you know, the same age. And I kind of just went with that, you know, how can I connect the kiddo brand to actual people, to a community, to some things that I care about as as a parent myself. With another mom, I created a, a family day party called the Baby Soul Jam. How can we still retain the kick it aspect of our former life now that we're parents? I noticed that families were talking about switching off. You know, we we don't do as much together because it's like, okay, you hang back with the kids and I'll go or vice versa. And so we created this family day party where the whole family could hang out. There's music for the parents to dance to. There's a bar for a mimosa or a beer. And the kids are (laughs) thoroughly entertained. And it was a huge, Mm -hmm. you know, we've sold out everyone to this day. And everything was just continuing to connect families and community, you know, specifically on the south side of Chicago. So the events ended up, you know, becoming more and more. And at the events, I would sell, you know, some kiddo stuff. I would sell onesie and have a little table set up. And actually, I had the shopping center that I'm in right now slide into my DMs. And they were like, hey, we see you. We love what you've been doing. Would you consider doing some events in our shopping center? And that's how it kind of started. They reached out to me. We developed an event partnership and spoke the right financial language to to have that happen for a summer. And then at the end of the summer, it was very successful. And they said, hey, have you ever thought about having a retail space? And that was it. I said yes, and I figured it out. And we've been here ever since. The Product Boss, hosted by Jacqueline Snyder and Mina Kulositep, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Take your physical product sales and strategy to the next level to create your dream life with hosts Jacqueline and Mina as they deliver a workshop-style strategy hour of social media and marketing strategy so you can up-level as the boss of your business. So I just finished listening to their latest episode. It's called Keep Your Day Job, Grow Your Product-Based Business. And it's all about how to maintain your full-time job while growing your product-based business on the side. So, of course, I know you side hustlers are interested in this. And it's a really good episode, 20-minute listen. So definitely check it out. Listen to The Product Boss wherever you get your podcasts. Now, was there anything that caught you off guard once you started to have this retail location? How was that transition to the retail space? Oh, it was it was rough. It was a lot of good feelings and good vibes, but it was also a lot, a heavy learning curve for me. 
I don't come from retail or merchandising background. I just know what I think is cute. <laughs> so it took, a bit of a <laughs> it took a bit of a learning curve to connect what I think is cute to what actually should be done on the inside of a store to make things appeal to the customer. And that took a long right. time. I couldn't obviously hire a professional merchandiser but the first thing that was was pretty difficult was just filling the space. You know, I had these onesies and T-shirts, but when people shop for kids, they they want more than that. They want to connect it. Okay, you got shirts, but do you have pants? You got pants, but do you have socks? You got mm -hmm. socks. You know, like people want it, especially yeah. the grandmas. The grandmas want to put together a whole outfit <laughs> and have you know this and that. And so I realized very quickly that besides tees, onesies, and books, I needed those connector mm -hmm. items to make it a full shopping experience. So a lot of a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons. And it sounds like there are layers to it. So there's the first layer of okay, now you're paying overhead. Now you have rent to pay each month. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's mm -hmm. what I'm assuming, right? Yeah. There's a retail location space fee. And then that cuts into whatever margin you were making, like when you're just doing it online without a retail location overhead. And then the second layer of that is actually filling the space. And so, you know, that is a whole new ball game. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how did you manage those two? One, making sure that not only can you pay the rent each month, but that you're making a profit or at least breaking even. And then tell us then also about how you went to fill the space. So let's tackle one at a time. So first, let's talk about the actual finance piece. Well, considering the events were the thing that kind of propelled us to the point to get the retail space, mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to keep that going partly in the store so that there was always an excuse for people to be physically in the space, hoping uh, that if they come to the store for a little baby class or they come to the store for a story time, they'll leave with something. So I knew that marketing wise, keeping the events part going was gonna help, you know, at least keep our customers in the store. And then the offsite events as well, the larger, more ticketed events, we're just really going towards the gaps. You know, when there were slow weeks and slow months, I knew that, you know, we had a baby soul jam coming up and I would take my profit from that and kind of spread it around. It was, yeah, it was really hard in the beginning. And I think because the opportunity to have the retail space came up pretty quickly and turned around pretty quickly and I just kind of jumped on it, I didn't necessarily have the whole business plan of the whole situation before I started. I kind of just went in head first. And so that first year, there were definitely lots of lessons with right. every aspect of the business that I just really tried to retain and learn from so that I didn't make them again. And yeah, that's how my, my education really came from came about on the spot. And so the second piece of this now was filling the space. And of course, you aim to have a shop and a brand that focuses on inclusivity, representation. So how did you go about curating this collection of apparel and books and toys that focus on that? So I, I forgot to mention a very important detail, which was before we opened the retail store, I had my daughter. Ah, <laughs> so when I, you had another, you had yeah. another, okay, okay. So when I, when Let's I keep started, a track here. <laughs> when I started Kiddo Online, I had my son, my firstborn son. Okay. 
And two years later, we opened the retail store. And so when we opened the retail store, my daughter was a baby and my son was two years old. Wow. And so the time for doing that kind of industry specific research or all of that like dwindled, dwindled, dwindled. So honestly, Instagram and the internet were once again, my best friend, like they were when I started kiddo. And then when I opened the store, they were my best friend because I couldn't go to the trade shows. I couldn't do the mm -hmm. industry networking and traveling because I had a right. baby. So honestly, I would, I would follow cute little influencer kids. I would follow brands from overseas. <laughs> I was just like, I was on Instagram using it as my industry research to see, okay, who's wearing what I like, who's playing with what I like and, and compiling that for what would make sense for the kiddo store. And then getting that contact info, getting an email and just emailing, Hey, I'm QI on kiddo in Chicago or a kid shop that blah, blah, blah. Do you offer wholesale? Can you send me relevant info on how I can open a wholesale account? Like I would, I had it down. Wow. Like my little inquiry email was maybe not yeah. standard, you know, was maybe not what people typically get did, but for a mother with two little kids and a shop that she was figuring out, like I just emailed, blind emailed everyone whose products I thought were cute and that I thought I should have. I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. Like you're making me feel lazy. Like I... <laughs> I'm like, you were doing all that with what? A two-year-old and a I know. I probably, I probably couldn't do that now. I probably couldn't do that now. But there's something about you needing for something to work. Yes. That you just, yes. I mean, you that make pressure, it happen. That yeah, pressure. Yeah, yep. pressure. Exactly. Exactly. some of the first to join i'm i'm so curious like are the brands that you work with are they local to chicago now or are they you know brands that we'll see all across the world or all across instagram so now we have brands from all over the world but the one thing that i had to keep into consideration that made it hard for me when i was buying for the shop mm -hmm. was the fact that in the shopping center where we are we're surrounded right. by big box stores like there's literally uh. a target around the corner you know, H&M, Old Navy or whatever. And shopping for the store, I always have to keep in mind, like, who's our customer? Can they just get this for cheaper at Target, like, mm -hmm. or some version of it? Like everything in the yeah. kiddo store has to stand out in a way that I think puts the pressure on me, you know, as the buyer to really convince our consumer that this is really special. This is for you. Yeah. It may even cost a little bit more than you want to spend, but you haven't seen it anywhere else. And so in shopping for the store, it's a really specific lens that I look at everything through, you know, even sustainability. And, you know, we have lines from other mothers and, and local mm -hmm. people, but brands from all over the world. But, you know, if they can get it on Amazon and just pay blah, 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 then that's probably not for us. But it's right. really hard to kind of build a collection like that because I'm looking down the item sheet and a lot of things are like, no, 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 no. And there may be one yes. And I'm, like, <laughs> <"Okay."> <laughs> I'm like, okay, give me 30 yeah, of yeah. that little swaddle because that's for us. 
you know? Yeah. Wow. That, that definitely seems challenging. And I, again, kudos to you for what you are building, have built and continue to grow because I think it's so important to have and be able to trust a space like this. Like I know I can find this here. I know I'm going to find these great gifts, these great items for my child here because Mm -hmm. I know what they represent. And you don't find that everywhere, you know, like you're digging through the different aisles and you're just not finding it everywhere. So Mm -hmm. again, I just love what you have built and are building. Like I said in the beginning of this chat, you are a Black Wall Street descendant and, you know, you're a fourth generation entrepreneur. How do you think that history has influenced your own path to entrepreneurship and community building in Chicago? Oh, it's so important. I feel so honored to be a part of that legacy. But I have to be honest, in my life and probably until maybe five, 10 years ago, I didn't really know how significant it was. It's really hard to explain, but when I was growing up, they didn't teach it in schools. I didn't learn about it in grammar school, in high school, in college, anywhere, and no one else did either. So I have something that I knew about my personal history, but I had no idea was important in this American history in general. Most of my friends didn't know that about my history because I didn't really know it was something that needed to be shared until we started to get more information about the massacre in general. And so Mm -hmm. then you got more and more people learning about this event in history and then what it destroyed. And then it was like, oh, wait, yeah, that my family (laughs) was, was a part of that and affected by that. And then we started learning more information about our own history just because the researchers and people who were wanting to know more were digging and digging to get Mm. more information. So it was, it's been really interesting to connect to that part of my history because it's almost like a light flicked on and then it's like, Oh wait, like this is actually really special and this is a really unique place that existed. And so to be a a descendant, I definitely, it's been a journey, you know, just, just having that as a part of my personal history. I will say that when I started kiddo, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it, but when I opened the doors to the shop, I felt my ancestors presence, like having a physical place where people come in and they see your black face and you say, hi, you know, can I help you with anything? You are, you know, that acknowledgement and that customer owner relationship yeah. is so special. And I felt that informed by something, you know, informed by my history. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it was so clear that that's what needed to happen that I just know that it was my ancestors guiding me. I'm sure a lot of listeners either are thinking about opening a retail location of some kind, may not be similar to yours, but whether it's a food location or apparel or what have you, a Black-owned bookstore, I know those kind of interests exist within our audience. And I think one of the real challenges, of course, is getting people in there. So you talked about events, but you know, I know you can't have an event every day. So how do you go about marketing kiddo so that you're getting regular, consistent customers? So I will say that Kiddo has benefited so much from timing with our business. Ah. And honestly, 
when I started Kiddo Online, online was supplemented by our social media presence. And so I just really had a goal, even with a baby and then two babies, to really just post consistently on social media. We have an online brand. They can't come into the shop. We got to show them what we got, what we're about. After right. we opened the shop, we were having events. I'm still posting on social media. The shop was open for a year and some change, and then the pandemic happened. Mm. And so timing-wise, I think it was perfect yeah. for us because we had already been strengthening our social media presence. And so when everyone was shut down and everyone was home and everyone was on their phone, they found kiddo and were like, oh, look at this fun Black-owned kid shop. You know, we're dancing, we're showing our products. We were being so creative about yeah. how we could make people feel like they were in the shop, even though everyone was hunkered down <laughs> and sheltering in place. Yeah. And we really yep. just, we put so much focus into bringing the kiddo vibe to people where they were that we just got so many more followers. And then the, the unrest, the civil unrest happened. And then people were focusing on black businesses even more. So we benefited from that. But we really, when that happened, we really just wanted to, it was really about just having a larger audience get into what we were already doing. You know, it wasn't like no. we changed anything we were doing. It was just like, oh, black businesses, black businesses. And here we are. And yeah, we've always been great. So come, come join the kiddo party, you know. But I yep, think yep. I think that social media part of our marketing has been so important for us because families are everywhere. You know, we we have something that I think is is valuable and a mission that people connect with from all over the country and all over the world. So social media just gives us the opportunity to show that day to day fun that people really connect with and then end up buying our product. And you highlight the importance of never losing the online piece of it, you know, never just neglecting that part because you have a physical location. Yes, definitely. I think we were fortunate enough to already have that online presence when the pandemic hit. Some people had to create a website real quick or something. And we just had to kind of level up to meet the quantity. You know, we grew, I think, three or four times Wow. In 2020. So we just had to make sure that the quality of our customer service and what we were presenting yep. met that demand and that standard. And that was a transition and that wasn't easy, but but we've done mm -hmm. it and we've been able to ma maintain that. So, yeah, online and social media, very, very important for us. And speaking of that growth, because a lot of times people correlate growth with money. And I know that there's so much more to it than that, right? Expenses grow along with revenue growth. <laughs> so we always talk about how much people lose money in the, their first few years of business. What has been your experience, you know, losing or breaking even, making a profit, able to take an income? Like what has been your overall experience? So I would definitely say in the years where it was me in my living room before we had a space, <laughs> I was losing money all over the place. I mean, I, I just didn't know what I was doing and yeah. everything I was paying for, whether it's the blanks or the printing or shipping or boxes was just more expensive than I should have been paying. But I just didn't, I didn't know it was just the beginning stages. And so I think at every, at every step of, you know, when we went from one onesie to three or from three to five, 
at every level up in terms of how much people were buying from me, I tried to smarten up some piece of it. So when we leveled up one time, if I could get a cheaper blank with a higher quality, then I was improving that. If the next time we leveled up, if I could improve on the shipping, the cost of all the pieces of the shipping equation, I was doing that. Uh And that first year of being in the store was definitely a whole lot of lessons all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, when 2020 hit and we, we grew that quickly with that higher volume, I really just tried to, you know, hold on to as much as I could to (laughs) improve upon anything else that I needed to learn a lesson from. But shipping was definitely a big thing since everyone was home. I had to make that shipping piece make sense. All the parts required and the higher rates from the carriers and that type of thing. And with shipping as well, was it trickier because you're selling different kind of items? It's not like you can say, oh, I'll just have this and this and this. Like, I'll just always default to these kind of boxes and these kind of package uh, shipment thingies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're always been, having to do sizing. Yeah, shipping has been very hard for us because I think when you have a small business, people expect for the unboxing to be a little bit more special than just throwing uh, things in an Amazon box. So people order from Amazon, they know it's just going to be something thrown in a box, maybe with a little bit of stuffing. But when they order from a small business, they want more of an experience and they expect for a certain type of care to be taken with the packaging. So I've always felt a certain amount of pressure to have a gift that's being sent to a child when they open it to be a magical thing. But that costs money, you know, so the box and the postcards and the tissue paper and the, you know, everything adds up. And I I do feel like because we have toys, clothing and books, Mm -hmm. it's always a different combination of things. So we have all these different box shapes for whatever particular combination of things people get, which means that as we've grown, we haven't been able to just put our whole selection of goods to get fulfillment offsite. I know that may have to change or something, but we have thousands of products. And usually a fulfillment center will cap the selection of products they do for you at like maybe 250 or 300 items. Interesting. Um, So it is really interesting because we're a whole boutique and we're not just like a direct to consumer. Like I sell lip gloss and we've got seven kinds, you know, and you so could just it, ship that off to your to your warehouse and they take exactly. care of it. Exactly. You don't have yeah. to have it in your house. You don't have to have it in your garage. This is what you carry. They have it and they send it. It becomes difficult to manage and we, we are constantly re-looking at it because of okay. all the different combinations of things that people order. Oh, wow. That is definitely a unique problem that I had no idea about. So I'm glad you brought that up again. You guys thinking of starting boutiques or dealing with that now? Like this is something to think about. And, you know, you might have to reach out to Kiwa, you guys, uh, (laughs) thought partner, (laughs) work it out together. Um, I I never knew about that. And wow, you know, well, we thank you. We thank you for having so many (laughs) options for us to select from. So Speaking of that, before we jump into the lightning round, I'd love to know more about what's your vision for Kiddo moving forward? You know, what have you always dreamed about when it comes to this brand and where do you want to take it? Oh, I have such big dreams for Kiddo. I think that, you know, for us to be a boutique that carries a lot of different brands, my dream for Kiddo will be for us to increase our product line 
more and more mm. until you can walk into a kiddo store and all you see are kiddo products. So wow. what I've noticed in curating uh, items for the store is that there's still so many gaps of like higher quality mm. items that are just have a unique look or are more modern or stylish. Um, I'm always looking for items from for black owned brands. And sometimes these gaps, like there is no brand that has this particular mm. toy or item. If you asked someone on the street, like, what's the biggest black toy company that you know of? Who would they say? I feel like wow. that people produce like singular items like dolls mm -hmm. or certain puzzles or things that have been sold in bigger shops. But when you think of just the power of like a black toy company, there's wow. nobody that comes to mind. And, and I would love for kiddo to be that name of just like, yes. kiddo got it. You know, kiddo got the whatever toys or books for your child. Like that's the first yes. person you think of. So that's, that's my goal is for, for, the kiddo product line to grow to the point where we are the name, you know, for wow. kids products. It's very rare that it expands to something that's bigger. Like you see than, on a, with a Hasbro or something like that, you know? Exactly. A Mattel, a Hasbro, a Little Tykes or, you know, Melissa and Doug. Like we could go on right, and on right. and on. And we, as as a black owned kid company, like that's, that's who we want to be. Mm -hmm. We want to be like the black owned Melissa. And Doug, I love you it. Know? Do it. Do it. So now let's jump into the lightning round. You know, the deal, just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Keep it quick. Are you ready? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Number one, what is a resource that has helped you with kiddo that you can share with the side hustle pro audience? I've said it a million times in this podcast. Google, Google, and Instagram are my <laughs> friends. They are my all resource. Right, all right. <laughs> a true millennial. Um, and also, locally, we have the Women's Business Development Center, sort of like a small business association, but specifically for women and their business ideas. And so I would okay. recommend something like that if you have it in your area, just for those like how to start a business information, the LLC or corporation, you know, all the steps that you need to follow so that you don't forget yes. anything that's required. I would recommend that for sure. Number two, who is a non-celebrity black woman entrepreneur that you admire, would want to trade places with for a day and why? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many and I follow all of them on Instagram, <laughs> but I'll do three because they each have yes. something different that I value. One is Angel, who's been on your podcast. Yes. Um, the Spice Suite, especially with the project she has going on right now. I'd love oh, to yes. just hop in and take a look at what's going on, you know. Melissa Butler from Lip Bar. Of course, yes. In terms of that product-based business and the scaling that she's been able to do. And then Aurora James. Aurora James comes from the fashion world, um, but she has her own company and the work that she's done with 15% Pledge. I would I would love mm. to see what, what goes into to that while also, you know, building her own brand. All right. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your day? Is it just me? But I feel like by having children, it makes all parts of my day negotiable. I mean, do I own any part of my day? No. That, I feel like anything can happen at any point of the day where it's like, okay, at I got to do, do that. 
But I do try to, and my husband is very helpful with having a moment in the morning Mm -hmm. that's probably the only moment where I am alone. Yes. To have space with my thoughts, to write anything down, to start off the day however I need to. Getting the kids off to school is such chaos Mm -hmm. that if he can take them to school and I can have that moment before I start getting ready to go to work, it's so like palate cleansing that I everything I try yes. to make sure that happens. Yeah. Number four, um, what's a personal habit that you have that's helped you significantly in business? Oh, I think I'm just a glass half full or all the way full type of person. I think that in building the business, I don't have thoughts of, well, what if we caved or what if we went under or My mind is always to how can we keep going or how can we escalate and achieve the goals that we want to. Yeah, I just think I think that kiddo success is attributed to a lot of different things, but I just always know that we will survive. You know, like that's just flat out. We were meant to be here. There's a place for us. People value us. and, And I have to always know that and radiate that, you know. You know, it's funny when people um, interrupt in lightning round, I know, but there's sometimes <laughs> when people say stuff about themselves and then I'm like, I'm going to tell myself that too. That, that, that's going to be mean too. Okay. <laughs> I'm adopting now, that. Like, I'm now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I know, but it's so interesting because I can do that with kiddo all day. And then when yeah. it's me and my personal stuff, I'm like, I don't always think that way. So I... <laughs> It's, it's interesting how well, I can thank you for the confession. I know yeah. I, I compartmentalize my hopes and dreams and vibes for kiddo mm-hmm. that are always on the up and up and positive because I connect it to children and it's like they need that. Oh, you know, they need that yeah. assurance and that inspiration. Right. When it comes to Kiwa by herself, am I always thinking like, "Yeah, girl, you're doing it"? Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> No, I'm not always thinking that. No, but I do also need to get better at that. I need to get better at that. Yes. And final, final question. Number five, what is your parting advice for other Black women entrepreneurs who want to start their own business, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? My parting advice would be listen to your gut and listen to your potential consumer. Um, I think a lot of people have something in their mind that they want to push forward regardless of what is going on. And sometimes the things going on are telling you that you should maybe just pivot a little bit over here, or maybe your customer is actually right now looking to something over there. I think Mm -hmm. despite having a vision and a drive, you need to always be listening. Like your ears need to be bigger than your head so that you're Mm -hmm. always informed by what people actually want. So it's probably mm-hmm. what you want and what you want to see blow up, but then it's partly like, who are you selling to and what do they really want to see from you? You know what I mean? Yes. Big old, big old I ears. I love that. <laughs> big old ears. I like that. You hear that, guys? All right. Ears bigger than our heads. And we talk about that often on here in Side Hustle Pro Land too, but really getting to know that customer. And I like, you know, in the beginning, you talked about that, who you wanted this, you started selling it. But then as you were face to face with people, you were learning more. You were getting more granular details about these people. And that is what really helped you to scale. Yeah, definitely. Definitely my story. So where can people connect with you and kiddo after this episode? 
We are, our website is kiddochicago.com, K-I-D-O Chicago. That's where you can find all our cute stuff. Um, and if you want to engage with us on social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Kiddo Chicago, 1D, K-I-D-O. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't post a lot, but, you know, if you <laughs> want to connect with me professionally, you can find my little sale page on LinkedIn <laughs> at, at Kiwa <laughs> But otherwise, yeah, if you're in Chicago, if you're in Chicago, come by, say hey. Our door is open seven days a week. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being in the guest chair, Kiwa. And with that, you guys, there you have it. I will talk to you next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you'll receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.